This is Blue Collar Culture, where you don't need ping pong tables, a cereal bar, or nap pots to attract and retain real A players. Join us where we speak with down-to-earth leaders that understand what it takes to win with a blue collar culture. Now here are your hosts, Jeremy McLiver and Ryan England. Welcome back to another episode of the Blue Collar Culture Podcast. I am your co-host, Ryan England, and I am here today with Jeremy McLiver. Welcome back, everyone. So I'm really excited about today's guest. He's actually been very involved in his industry for a lot of years, and I'm going to let him talk a little bit more about that. But he comes from the design and remodeling industry, and he's actually the president-elect of a very well-known industry association. He's got a lot of certifications behind him. There are a lot of things that his company is known for, and he's very involved in the community and in the industry. So I want to welcome to today's episode, Dennis Gaiman of Gaiman Design and Remodeling. Thank you, Dennis, for being here. You're welcome. Thank you. I'm looking forward to the conversation. So help me out with this. We're going to talk a lot about NARI today, and we're going to talk about industry associations. What is one of the biggest myths about industry associations from a business owner's perspective? I think the biggest myth is that people think they're going to join and they're going to have all their questions and problems solved right away. That's not the case? It's not the case. Uh, Our industry, at least, is kind of ever-changing from new products, new laws, new OSHA regulations. And reality is, for most of us, have come up through the trades. We were a carpenter, a plumber, uh, an electrician, and then decided to venture out on our own. So generally speaking, we know the trades well, but we really don't know the business side. And many people are not the kind, maybe weren't the best students in school, which is maybe why they got into the trades. And so therefore, maybe they're not real avid readers and taking the time to get on podcasts and webinars, that kind of stuff. So it takes time. So Dennis, because I'm looking at the association and you just told me I'm not going to get all my problems solved right when I join. What are the advantages of joining NARI or any national association? I'll speak from the remodelers side. And, and our association is NARI, an acronym for National Association of the Remodeling Industry. What you're going to get is we're fortunate that we have a staff headquartered just outside of Chicago. And we have people there that are staying on top of current education, top of new products, new laws, new OSHA regulations. And that information is put out in a number of different ways. Some is through local chapters. And we have 43, I think, chapters right now across the country. So they're not everywhere. And also there's a weekly newsletter that comes out, an email newsletter every Wednesday, and that is packed full. I have to admit, I don't always get time to read it all just because there's too much information, but I can see the headings. And, you know, if there's something new, something I haven't learned about before, I can jump onto that. Too much good stuff constantly coming, huh? (laughs) Can't read it all. I'll tell you, you know, I used to run a structural steel company and I was a part of a national steel association, SIA, Steel Erectors of America Association. And just being with other people and learning that they actually had the same problems that I had and they were in the same challenges that I was in and they were overcoming them in maybe some different ways. You know, one guy would have a really good, strong 
ability to manage a safety program while another one was stronger at the bid package and just really being able to collaborate with people that were intentional about their businesses. It's a huge value of the association. All of the stuff that's going on, the, you know, them helping us through the steel excise changes, all of those kinds of things. And it sounds like that's what, you know, they're getting from being a part of NARI. Yes. And you're exactly right. As much as I value the education, the good speakers, you know, the webinars, podcasts, that kind of thing, to me, the best value is the opportunity to get to know some other remodelers. And yeah, many times in a local chapter, they might be your competitors. But I think one of the things that I've learned through NARI is that I'm okay with a good, solid competitor. It's the Chuck in the truck with his uh, dog that the I don't always see eye to eye on and who doesn't really know his own value. So he's not charging enough for what it is. But that opportunity to network. And since I've been involved so long, I have friends all across the country. And unfortunately, right now, we're not doing a whole lot of meeting in person. But I still know that I can pick up the phone and give people a call, shoot out an email we have mastermind groups where people join and you know that's a group of 8 to 12 contractors who are not direct competitors and they meet on a regular basis typically once a month and you know the group that I'm a part of has been going for 3 years now we have a lot more interaction than just once a month there's texts going back and forth or emails several times a week that's great so tell us a little bit about the masterminds cuz that's an exciting and actually unusual thing to see in association so Extremely impressive. I'd like to hear a little bit more about maybe some of the takeaways that you've had from being a part of that mastermind. I think it's very much like you said, that it's knowing that there's other people going through the same challenges in business that I am. Sometimes it can feel lonely. You don't feel like you can always talk with your employees about it. My wife works in our business, so she's a good person to bounce things off of. But it's nice to have that outside perspective as well. We have a facilitator for the mastermind groups. And each of us commits and actually puts our signature to a confidentiality agreement in the beginning that, you know, we're not going to go telling everybody else about the woes or the good or bad of the people that we're talking with. We were planning this year to get together in person. But that, you know, obviously because of COVID, that didn't happen. But some of us have met at various trade shows or that kind of stuff. The uh, the camaraderie is very good. Uh, just the beginning of this week, somebody who is looking to hire another salesperson, he said, hey, before I do this, I'd like to probably revise the job description. Does anybody have one? And within, you know, a few hours, uh, three or four of us, shot our job descriptions off to them. And we copied everybody. So now we all have these things. And I haven't yet had time to read through in detail in the others, but I think there's some good information there that I can tweak ours and make it better too. When I was 25, I joined a mastermind group for the first time, the trade-based one, where it was a whole bunch of collision center owners all across the country. Like you said, non-competing so that guard just goes down and all the numbers flow. You're exactly right. You got people inside your own business and stuff that you can chat about to a certain level, but there's something about having an outside influence, but it's more than just an outside influence. It's a consistent outside influence from the same people that love, know you, care about you, 
they're not going to, they don't sell you nothing. They don't pitch you nothing. They're just your friend and business. And I'll tell you that completely transformed several of my views of the way business works and just learning what other real entrepreneurs were doing. So that's amazing that you guys have those throughout your association there. So yeah, very cool. It's a cool benefit. I think one of the biggest values for me is at the end of every session, and we do a Zoom call, it's an hour and a half. We're always asked, so what are your takeaways and what are you going to do as a result of it? And those are all written down. And we know that when we come back the next month, we're going to get asked what we did about it. Good. Accountability too. Good. We spend all day long holding everybody else accountable. And even though as entrepreneurs, we do our best to be accountable. Mm -hmm. We say to our employees that they can call us out if we didn't do that. But eh, the real reality is sometimes they're not as forthcoming as we are to them, right? Yeah. Even when we try to create that open, honest culture. But yeah, so I love the masterminds. I love that. That's amazing that Neri has that. So tell me a little bit about You've gotten to experience all this through the association, seeing different businesses interact, how they function, stuff. What's something that you see that just holds it holds all the businesses back? What's a major thing that you're like, man, I see a pattern in this? Well, right now, it is skilled labor shortage. And I, I know that's not unique to the remodeling industry, but it's a pretty big deal. Most people that I talk to, we could be doing more business, more volume if we could find the tradespeople to produce it. So it, that is, and that's not something that's going to get fixed overnight. That, that's, uh, those conversations need to happen with uh, our local schools, uh, probably starting at the middle school, junior high school level, and realizing that college is not for everyone. And I don't have anything bad to say about college. I did one year before I dropped out. And, you know, it was a good year. I don't regret doing that that at all. But then, uh, you know, life took me in a, in a different direction. I've actually spoke for the last four years at Arizona State's educational, career technical education conference. This year, due to COVID, it got canceled. I was on the docket for being one of the main speakers there. But really just challenging the school system to look at college a little bit different. So I'm going to get on a soapbox for just a second because I'm not against college at all. In fact, I think it's done a lot of great things. But the numbers are the numbers. And I can't speak for the whole nation because I live here in Arizona and I studied Arizona's to prepare for these speeches. But when you look at high school graduates that don't go to college, and high school graduates that don't finish their first year of college, just those two categories, it makes up about 70% of the population. And so what I've pushed for years is to just transform our messaging that just because you've chosen a different route other than college doesn't mean you're destined to dig ditches for the rest of your life. That's right. I actually don't believe that every student that performed at sea level or below is not intelligent. I just believe that the school system wasn't designed for their intelligence. And what I mean by that is some people are very hands-on, tactical. You see these guys, I mean, I've been out there working with guys in the field and they just look at it and say, well, just if you did this little thing, they draw up something on a chalk on the ground real fast, like this kind of connection will hold that. 
it'll slip in and it'll fall into place. Like they got geometry and physics and you know all these complex things. They could never in a million years articulate that in a textbook. But they just look at you like, oh no, it's just this easy. And they pull out a piece of chalk out of their pocket and just scribble it right on this on the concrete out in this job site. And it takes trigonometry and I don't know what all those other big things to figure it out. And so I love that you're you're passionate about that because I believe that we've undersold so many people and we could increase our potential in the market. I used to run, when I run the steel company, we actually started really working with the high schools and attracting a lot of kids out of it. And there was a lot of kids that just didn't have the ambition, didn't see college as the way to go. And you can make a real good living in the trades. Yes, you can. A lot of the work I do is working with employers to help them attract good people. And, and sometimes it is kids right out of college. And I know that there's a lot of arguments on both sides about why kids are not getting into the trades. There's a lot of promotion from organizations like Build Your Future and these local co-ops to really get kids attracted to the trades. But one of the things that I want to suggest is a lot of what's going on in the difficulty, I feel that business owners have kind of done it to themselves. They haven't really kept up with the times. I mean, the unfortunate truth is, Dennis, I don't know about in your area, but out here in Arizona, whether you want to believe it or not, Amazon is a direct competitor of the trades when it comes to hiring good people. You know, I can make $15 an hour and I can sit in an air-conditioned living room <laughs> and answer calls. And that's one of the biggest challenges I've seen with a lot of businesses in the trades is that they haven't really stepped up and said, wait a minute, we are now competing against Amazon for talent. And one of the easiest things we can do is just realize that almost 90% of job seekers are online looking for jobs. And if they can't find our jobs, we're going to have a really tough time recruiting them, whether it's an apprenticeship program or it's just general labor or even the skilled craft worker. So I'd like to ask, what are some of the things that you've seen around that? Because it sounds like you're very passionate about the skilled labor shortage and, and helping businesses overcome that? What are some of the things that you've seen work and some of the things that you have, have seen not work that, that we need to stop doing as an industry? I think some of them are what uh, you guys have already talked about. And for the most part, I think it's going to start with local. It's kind of a grassroots. And if each of us as business owners of a, you know, a small blue collar industry gets involved in our local schools, the trade schools as well, and to get the word out there. I hadn't thought about Amazon as a competitor, but you're exactly right. What I think about in our area, we are in the biggest meatpacking area for that kind of industry east of the Mississippi River. Both pork and beef are, are right local here. And they got big banners out front that are telling you that you start anywhere from 1775 an hour to 2450. And they're hurting for employees too but they're doing their part to put it out there. I think one of the challenges, at least in the home improvement industry, very few people are interested in growing their business all that large. And some of that, I think, is because by and large, we don't have the leadership skills, the, the management skills, and many of us want to continue working with the tools. So that somewhat limits us. And, you know, unless you want to hire a general manager or, you know, somebody to take that on for you. 
So that's one aspect. And how do you learn those skills? Well, you first, you have to have interest, but you're exactly right, Ryan, that if they don't find us online or in, by some other method, how do they even know that, that it's a possibility or that it's an option? So just the thing of talking to the young people at my church, we got three young men who are working with us now who, yeah, they go to our church, but that's the way it is. Most of us, you connect with people who are in your circles in some way and then going outside of them, the local chamber of commerce, letting people there know that, that you're looking for people getting involved, like, like Jeremy talked about at the, uh, you know, there in Arizona. I imagine Pennsylvania has something similar, uh, but I'm not aware of it because I haven't been involved. But career days at the local high schools and and the tech schools, uh, getting the word out in that way. One other thing that I've seen that's really held a lot of the trade businesses back in this recruiting effort and war, I guess you almost call it the war on talent. Yeah is they've struggled to communicate the why behind going into the trades. And some of that almost sounds white collar-ish, maybe like, you know, a little bit whatever. But other organizations have clearly communicated, hey, we're going to do this. And I've worked with a lot of different companies to really establish, why on earth are you even working here? What are you doing? One one particular one I think of is... Uh, and I'm just going to use another steel story real quick, but a superintendent, I was driving with him and we're riding along here in Phoenix and it's a large spread out town. He started telling me, I helped build that. I helped build that. I helped build that. I helped build that. Finally, he's just sharing all these different stories. Finally, he's like, I helped build Phoenix. You know, there's some pride in that. Like, forget this stupid job, man. I helped build Phoenix. And when we can connect that person to something that they can become passionate about because people are looking to belong to something. And I find it in the trades all the time. Like, hey, we're transforming the way that plumbing supply chains work. I have a client that's working on that. Like, th- that's what they're doing. They're not just selling plumbing supplies. They're transforming the way plumbing supply chains work. That's their goal. And they can rally a team around it. They can pull people in. They're like, no. I get 15 bucks at Amazon, I get 15 bucks here, but here we're going to make a difference. And my boss is helping me and they're transforming it. It's just so much more fun. And I know that work's not about being fun, but we do need to be clear about why are we doing this? And so that's one area that I see that the trades has struggled to really articulate. Yeah. And some thinking outside of the box. I have one that works with us probably about 12 years now. He went to college for three years. He didn't finish, but he was an art major and didn't really know which field, you know, is that going to be painting or drawing or ceramics? It turns out the medium that he does that creates, gives him an opportunity for his artistic creative is doing remodeling work. And he does beautiful finished carpentry work and cabinets. So letting people know that that's, that's, you have that opportunity. I think on the design side, you know, interior design schools and so forth. Yeah, that's another way of showing your artistic ability. But for some people, you know, they want to be able to work with the tools. And once they're introduced to them, it just takes off from there. Absolutely. So just kind of summing up this, what we because we have some good conversation here. There's several points for our listeners out there that you can take a look at your recruiting efforts and say, are we really 
doing everything we can. So as Dennis said, are, are we involved in our local communities, schools, our circle of influence? Are we active in an association where we're learning best practices, job descriptions, the right things around that? Are we communicating the why behind what we're doing? Are we making sure that it's visible online and areas that they would spend time in? Are we comparing our ads to those of equal salary compensation, not just our trade? Really look at your whole entire recruiting effort from that perspective. And maybe you'll find some areas that you can go and take it off to the next level. So what I'd like to do now, Dennis, is we've challenged you in a lot of different ways, asked you a lot of different questions. I would love for you, from the association perspective, to say, what's something you feel like you would love to challenge our audience to go do, to take action, to review? What is that? Well, the core purpose of NARI is to increase professionalism within the remodeling industry. Unfortunately, in most states, the ease of becoming a remodeling or home improvement contractor is pretty easy. And I do sincerely believe most people know the trade that they're going to be working with, but they don't understand the business side of things. And that's what gets them in trouble. That's why some contractor from our industry ends up on 20, 20 or 60 minutes every year as the contractor who took people's money and didn't finish the job kind of thing. Unfortunately, we can't change what everyone does, but NARI teaches people how to be good business people, how to treat your clients fairly, how to treat your employees fairly, and put systems and processes in place to be able to do that so that you don't have to work night and day. Being a small business owner shouldn't be a 24-7 thing. There is life outside of work. And uh, you're a better person when you realize that and, and you have hobbies and have time for family and to, to give back to your community and doing that kinds of things so that when you get to the point where hopefully financially you'll be able to retire, you don't have to think about what you're going to do because you have some other things rather than saying, well, I don't know, I've just worked all my life and I guess I'll just sit here. That's, in my mind, a recipe for somebody who soon passes away. So I hear that challenge is saying, go out there and figure out what your passions are. And particularly for those that are in the remodeling industry, to restore professionalism back to it. Is that what it was? That what I'm hearing? Yes. I'm going to flip it back. Normally, we, don't, we let the challenge just sit there and let the audience do it. But I'm going to flip it back on you just a little bit here, if that's okay. Sure. How is Neri helping increase the professionalism of the remodeling, remodeling industry? I would say the first thing that people be aware of when they submit an application for membership, part of what you need to put your signature to and commit to is a code of ethics that says you're going to do the right things. I don't have these memorized, but if if people want to see any of this information, they can go to nri.org and it's all there. There's a kind of a consumer side and as well as a contractor side to that. And we're doing it by putting the information out there. We can't force people to read it, to take in the, the webinars and those kinds of things. But there's lots of great information. Next week on uh, Wednesday and Thursday, we have our fall educational conference. It's going to be virtual. This is the first time we've done that. Typically, that's an in-person meeting somewhere in the country. 
but there's still time people can register that even up to the last minute if they want to. And as I said before, head knowledge is good, but if you don't put it into action, and when you go to a conference, there's no way you can ever put everything into action that you learn. Pick one or two items and then focus on those. And then the next time you come back here, maybe some new things or you hear something again. And it's just a, a work in process. You know, 30 years in, in business and we have a lot of good things going for us here. But there's still areas for improvement. And some of that is because I have a thick head and I need to hear things a whole bunch of times or too often it, it's learning because, wow, we lost a lot of money because we did it that way. If, if we change you know, how we're doing things, uh, hopefully that won't happen again. Yeah, the best mistakes to learn from are other people's, right? You got it. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's not the ones we typically choose to lose to, to learn from, but those are the best ones. So what I hear is Nary is working. Their goal, their mission is to increase the professionalism of the remodeling industry. They do that through conferences where you're going to get tons of great information, too much to actually even absorb and execute all of it, but you're going to get tons of that. You have weekly newsletters, you have industry involvement, industry best practices, and then you even have a mastermind to pull a lot of that accountability into the real world to really change them. It's all compiled and around the code of ethics and really making a difference in the remodeling industry. Is that how you see it? I, you summed it up very well. Thank you. So for everybody that's out there listening and is in the remodeling industry, I'm going to put a passion to plea. I know Dennis probably wouldn't say it as strong as I'm getting ready to say it. Go to NARI.org and join up because we really do need to change the way we look at the trades. If we change our professionalism, if we change the way we act, if we change the way we communicate, it is going to help us to solve that biggest problem that's holding us back, and that's hiring. So, Dennis, it's been so good having you. I've enjoyed this and just look forward to anything in the future. Thank you. I've enjoyed it as well. appreciate your time. Thanks, Dennis. The Blue Collar Culture Podcast is sponsored by bluecollarculture.com. We help entrepreneurs create a healthy culture and build a self-managing business. To learn more, go to bluecollarculture.com.